thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on SlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads to Singapore this weekend for a very exciting grappling-heavy main event between Ben Askren and Damian Maya. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of the main fights on that card as part of our three fights, one parlay and one dog segment, where we'll also give you a great parlay to play as well as a great underdog to play if you are planning on gambling on this card. Plus, we've got interviews with two of the fighters who are actually fighting on the card. Ashley Yoder as she gets ready for her fight with Randa Marcos. And Dontail Mays, three-time Contender Series veteran who's squaring off with Surreal Ghani. But before we get with, to any of that content, i got to remind you that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by A Story About a Fight from Rumination Films. A Story About a Fight is a short-action drama film about the beauty and the violence of the sport that we love so much. MMA. The premise of the film is that a young fighter on the up and up faces an opponent being trained by his estranged father. And as an MMA fan, I could not be more excited about this film because the really cool thing about it is that, first of all, we're getting more MMA on the silver screen. But also in addition to that, it is actually being put together by MMA fans and people who actually train MMA. The director, cinematographer, and lead actor are all longtime fans of the sport as well as active participants in martial arts as well. So we're going to get some really authentic portrayal of MMA, which is really exciting to me. And if it's exciting to you too, you should check out their campaign and you should make sure you go support their campaign on Indiegogo.com. You can go to Indiegogo.com and search for a story about a fight. And if that's just too much to remember and too many steps, you can just check out our pinned tweet on Twitter. It's right at the top of our, our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. And you can also check out their Twitter, A Story of Fight. A story about a fight from Rumination Films brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Ashley Yoder, who fights Random Marcos at UFC Singapore this upcoming weekend. Now, Ashley, before we get started talking about your fight coming up this weekend, I wanted to talk about the beginning of your UFC career, because obviously you had a tough start to your UFC career. You lost all three of your first fights, although one of them could be, or at least one of them could be somewhat debatable. Uh, How tough was it to stay positive at that time? Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things. They always tell you not to leave in the hand of, hands of the judge for a lot of reasons. And, you know, there's a couple of decisions that I think might have went a different way. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's the sport we're in. And you have to either uh, train to finish or, you know, try to do that. But um, it's not. I mean, it, it definitely took some wind out of my sails. But I've had so much support, especially from the UFC, you know, um, that you, like being able to be praised for my, my actual fight. So, um, it's, it's helped me get through those tough times, but, um, you know, we're on the, hopefully a turnaround and going from one three to three now. Yeah. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that, that turnaround in just a second too, but I'm, I'm curious now, as, as you said that, who, who were some of the people with the UFC that gave you those, you know, sort of pat on the backs for the good performances? Um, you know, I mean, the clip, I think it was kind of funny right after my, um, very first fight in the UFC against Justin Kish. Uh, Reed Harris actually came all the way to the back and was, you know, really was giving me praises. Um, Dana White, the Fertitas, I've gotten a lot of different um, um, praises from performances and, you know, just keep striving not to go to the judges' decisions. But um, like I said, we're in a sport that you can't always 
plan that. Um, and, you know, I'm just striving to be a better Ashley, and I definitely bring a fight every time, so. Absolutely. Now, and you, you talked about, you know, taking that 0-3 and turning it into a 3-0. and You've got two in a row already. A huge turnaround from the beginning of your career because, you know, you're even looking more dominant out there. To what do you sort of attribute that huge turnaround in, in result to? Um, you know, I think there's uh, just learning and um, one of the biggest things that, you know, is me kind of getting my experience on the job. Um, I don't have a huge um, martial arts background before I started MMA. Actually, I don't have any martial arts background before I started MMA. Um, I started when I was 20 years old. So I had a lot of accelerated learning to do. And I just think it, you know, me just putting in the time and learning and working and working and finding mistakes and going back and just being really open to fixing everything um, has helped me a lot. And starting martial arts as late as you did, because, you know, you mentioned you're just 20 years old. What were some of the hardest parts about making those adjustments? Um, you know, for me, I think one of the hardest is I was in a full-time college student. I had two jobs. Um, and then, um, you know, when I got to the level of, like, trying out for the Ultimate Fighter and looking at these girls' resumes, it was really, really um, challenging to see that a lot of these girls were champions in other martial arts and, you know, for many years. And um, now I'm going to have to step up and compete against these girls that have lifetimes of experiences and competitive, you know, just – there's a difference between training for 20 years or, you know, actually competing at the highest level in uh, Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu and winning at the highest level. So um, it it was a little bit um, hard for me to kind of adapt to get over, you know, every day is a new day and there's no reason that um, you can't win. There's no reason, you know, there's no excuses at the time they close the door. It's a whole new fight. So um, I'm just very open to learning and I think that's really helped um, kind of calm those nerves down. And, and you talked about balancing, you know, your college career as, as well as two jobs at the same time. Just out of curiosity, what were you doing at the time for jobs, and, and what were you going to school for? Um, so I was in school. I was working for the prosecutor, but I was um, a criminal justice and history major at IU, um, at Indiana University. And then I also was bartending two full-time jobs um, and taking 18 credit hours. So I wasn't really sleeping. I actually didn't really train to fight as an amateur. So I just kind of did it for anger management. I was like, oh, it's about time. So, um, but no, it's um, it was a, a lot. And I, you know, when people would ask me how I did it or what I did, I start getting really overwhelmed. But when it comes time to like do the things that you got to do, you just kind of you don't think about that stuff and you just think about the moment and the experience and having fun with it. So that's kind of helped me also in my martial arts career, just kind of not focusing too much on what's written on paper you just go in there and do you and you said you didn't really train too much as an amateur what caused you to make that switch both to being a professional and to to training on on a more serious schedule well um one of the things is um after i worked for the prosecutor my senior year in college i did not want to go to law school um and i didn't know how to get out of not telling my dad that (laughs) so one of my friends uh dave herman former ufc fighter uh he wrestled at iu um he was training and just moved to team quest like, hey, you should come try it out. And honestly, when I moved out here, it's just something to do to kind of like figure out what I want to do next. Uh, and it ended up kind of taking a different path. I started learning more, taking more fights, had the opportunity to go on Ultimate Fighter, you know. So it, it went from like not, no plans of anything coming from it to full fledged. This is my career. So it's pretty awesome. 
All because you just didn't want to tell your dad you, you didn't want to go to <laughs> law school? <laughs> well, pretty much. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I had a lot of student loans, and, you know, my dad, um, I mean, it was already hard to tell my dad that, yeah, listen, I'm moving to California to try to be a fighter. Like, you, my dad was not really keen to that idea, but we made it work. All right. Well, and, you know, you mentioned moving to Team Quest, too, because I usually ask people about, you know, advice they get from trainers. You're training with, with Dan Henderson, who's, you know, a, an American legend when it comes to MMA. What, what's sort of the best piece of advice you ever got from Dan Henderson? Well, Dan's is a unique individual. Everything that Dan, like Dan's not, I don't think Dan has a nervous or scared bone in his body. Um, he... He's very much, uh, he knows everything. Like, he, like, you could just talk about a single leg defense and against the wall for two hours of 20 different things that you can change. So he's very full of knowledge, but, um, actually I just finished sparring. I'm on my way home to shower and he was there and, um, he can't come to the fight, uh, because he has another engagement for, I think it's like a charity event. But anyways, he, he just like very supportive and he knows, you know, my worth ethic has really brought me to where I'm at and he just said you know you're ready just go out there and have fun so yeah very good. love hearing that advice from Dan Henderson now I, I want to talk about your upcoming fight that you are going to have fun during and that's you're fighting Randall Marcos in Singapore now Marcos has taken the fight on on somewhat short notice she had a, a little bit over a month to to prepare for this fight she's obviously got good wrestling and a submission game she hit a submission fairly recently in the UFC which is somewhat similar to you you know like a very good submission game what challenges do you think your style poses to her you know I think we're very um I like that your comparisons because I think we're very similar in a lot of levels which I think is going to make a fun fight because you don't have someone that's terrified to go to the ground versus you know we're not going to be hesitant to go anywhere. And I think that's what's going to lead to like an extremely um, scramble fight. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, I think it's just going to be a good fight overall. I think it's going to come down to who wants it more. Exciting. Now I, I do want to ask too, this is your first fight out of the UFC and, and it's quite a bit of a travel too, all the way over in Singapore. Are you excited for the prospect of it? A little bit nervous. What, what are your thoughts on oh, fighting out of the country? I am. I'm excited. I've always wanted to go to Singapore, and this is like the best reason why. But of course, you always have those nerves, never having that happen before, and a, you know it is a time change. But I think at the end of the day, like I think this is gonna um, just you know put it one more thing on my resume and like my experience. And you know, the Ultimate Fighter had did so much for me and learning about myself and kind of taking me out of my shell and taking me to that next step. And I think you know this will be the time for me to do that fighting overseas. So um, I'm actually really excited. All right, and we're certainly excited for that fight as well. Once again, this is Ashley Yoder, who fights Random Argos at UFC in Singapore this weekend coming up. Ashley, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Dante Mays, who fights Surreal Gane at UFC in Singapore this upcoming weekend. Dante, I want to start by talking about your run on the Contender Series because it was, you know, one of the most, it's the only three-fight run in the Contender Series history. You obviously lose the first one to Alan Crowder in a, in a fun fight. It dropped you to three and two on your career. Where was sort of your mindset after that fight had happened? Uh, you know, uh, I, I turned it as three and one just because, you know, my, my first loss came from uh, DQ and I was a really good dude to business anyways. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, for that next fight, it was like, uh, losing really wasn't an option. Like, this next fight, 
coming up. Losing is not an option. Like, I can't see myself losing again. You know, when I'm in shape, like, I don't know what anybody's going to have for me. Like, Alan Carter, like, uh, that was, uh, uh, hey, the stars aligned for him that night. You know, I was, uh, I was on my bullshit and he was able to capitalize. But now, uh, I, well, I'm in shape, can't nobody fuck with me. Absolutely. So now you, you said right after that, you felt like you, you absolutely couldn't be stopped and you come immediately back, beat a hot prospect in Muhammad Usman. And then they call for another fight. Did you ever think you were going to get another shot in the contender series after that first one? Uh, I did, but I was thinking, uh, maybe uh, I wouldn't be on that very next season. I was thinking maybe I'd be on my season three or something, but, uh, you know, uh, Usman, he was saying he beat me, and he's in the UFC. You know, it seemed like the people, if you beat me, then you go and you get to the UFC. So that's what it seemed like. So I was able to get fights because people was looking at it as if you beat him, he get he can get to the UFC because I was number one in the nation for like three years strong. You know, so that's, yeah, that- that's what it was. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and, and it's interesting, too, because sometimes it's hard to get fights when, when you're the tough guy in the regional scene. Now, I want to talk about that second fight, because you win by ground and pound. You look impressive doing it. Were you surprised after the second fight that you didn't get a contract, and were you? did Dana give you any indication you'd be back for a third try? Uh, when I didn't get the... I, I was surprised, because, you know, I, I feel like man, he only lick he got was when I was, you know... <laughs> I was impatient and, and went for flying, uh, indecisive knee slash kick and ended up on my back. And he was able to land the elbow, and that was the only uh, clean shot, you know, that even looked like something because it, 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 it drew blood. So uh, that was the only thing that he was able to do to me. So, and that was my fault. So, you know, when I handed him accordingly, I thought that I would be able to get it done, but. I, I understood just because, you know, I broke even one and one. So I felt like maybe that I'd get a short notice call or maybe, you know, if I had to do it again, it is what it is. So if I had to go out and get a win like I did, I just went out, got a win, and, you know, I was going to get another win. But, you know, it just didn't – the contender series presented itself, so I just waited for that. Absolutely. Now, you've had this three-fight run here in the on the Contender Series with a couple of fights in between. You know, ultimately, it, it winds up being five good fights rather than, you know, if you had beaten Crowder, maybe being in the UFC right away. Are you happy that it, it played out the way that it did, or do you wish all that time ago that you just got the call quicker? I do I do believe everything happened for a reason. Uh, maybe I wasn't ready or I wasn't as serious that I needed to be in my career, but, uh, you know, I wish I would have got the job done and, you know, I would have been in there at age 24, 25, you know, so, uh, that'd have been nice to, you know, start my career earlier, but it is what it is. Uh, everything happened for a reason. I do believe that. So I'm ready and I'm ready to take on whoever. Yeah. And that whoever is an, an interesting opponent here in the first one, you know, a heralded kickboxer in Cyril Ghani, you know, training partner of Francis Naganu. He's got a lot of hype behind him. How do you think that you pair up with him in this fight? <laughs> I'm a dangerous matchup for anybody. You know, uh, if I, if I'm landing, then you're in trouble. You know, I, 
I give my movement is just as good, if not better, you know. So I'm not worried about him or his style. You know, I just focus in on my strengths and uh, what I'm capable of doing. Going there and just do me and do what I got to do. Well, we're looking forward to that. Now, I also wanted to ask you real quick before we let you go, you know, you haven't really fought all that far away from home in your career. You know, a little bit to Vegas here and there. Uh, obviously, the Contender Series fights. This one is halfway across the world in Singapore. What What are sort of your thoughts on fighting that far away from home, and, and what are you doing maybe to prepare for that trip? Yes, as well. I've been able to get up and, and do early runs, you know, because I know I'm going to be fighting like uh, around seven, six o'clock in the morning here. So I've been getting up and getting me a little run in just, uh, just so I can be used to, you know, getting up and the crack of dawn. But I know uh, I'm going to get out there. So I'm hoping I can uh, get acclimated pretty quick to the the, the climate change in, in the time. So, you know, I'm just uh, it's going to be a new experience for me. I'm ready for whatever. Absolutely. And now before we let you go, I always do like to ask, do you got a prediction for this fight when it goes down? <laughs> My hand being raised, uh, if he survives, it could be fighting at night. If he don't, you know, knock out of the night. All right. Well, you heard it here first. This was Dante Mays, who fights Surreal Ghana at UFC in Singapore this upcoming weekend. Dante, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. And those interviews with Ashley Yoder and Dante Mays are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. So whether you train judo, jujitsu, sambo, kickboxing, boxing, it doesn't matter what you train because they will help you reach your goals. Here's how it works. You download the app in whatever app store that you use. Then you set up your profile with your weight, maybe where you train, your belt level, your main martial art. And from there, you can just log your training sessions. And, and while it just seems like a simple logging process, and that doesn't seem too complicated, the awesome thing that the app does for you is it actually tracks how often you train per week, how often you train per month, and whether those things are on the up and up. Plus, you can make notes, log competitions, and all kinds of other amazing things. Check it all out, Maroon Social. Now, I'm Daniel Gobi-Freeland, joined as always by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I feel like I've heard it all when it comes to how people got into fighting, but Ashley Yoder's story... Now, that's a new one. I love fighter origin stories where they're pulled out of everyday life. Uh, it harkens back to the days of Rich Franklin, was a school teacher, and then got into the UFC. There's something very funny about Ashley studying for LSATs and ending up in cage fighting. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the the fact that it was avoiding telling something very uncomfortable to her father that, that daddy's little girl wants to be a cage fighter instead of going to law school. Uh, yeah, it's something very funny, very, like, movie-esque about it um but a great story nevertheless and hey she's on a roll right now so who knows where we'll see her next well speaking of being on a roll we are on a roll with our newest segment three fights a dog and a parlay logo coming soon if the fiverr logo artist will ever get back to me (laughs) but that's another story for another day so gumby i have to ask you before we start three fights a dog and a parlay one are you ready two does any fine company sponsor said segment? 
Well, I'll be ready right after I tell you that this segment is brought to you by Rampage Coffee. Go to rampagecoffee.com. Make sure to use promo code TURTLE20 for 20% off all your coffee purchases. And if you are having trouble getting off the couch in the morning or maybe just getting off the couch to get to the gym later on in the day, make sure you check out their C4 brand of coffee, which has four times the caffeine of a regular cup of coffee. They also have a delicious medium and dark roast. Check them all out at rampagecoffee.com. All right, we're going to Singapore for this UFC, and it is headlined by what I would call a very fun fight. Speaking of calling back old-school MMA tales, this kind of brings up memories of a wrestler versus a BJJ fighter in early UFCs. We have Ben Askren, uh, one and one in the UFC, taking on Damian Maya. Uh, Askren, the favorite here. He's a minus-155 favorite. Damian Maya, the slight dog at plus 135. Maya is coming off of a win against Anthony Rocco Martin and a win against Lyman Goodman. So he's on a two-fight win streak. Peel it back a little further. He lost to Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington, top of the division, uh, and Tyron Woodley before that in a title fight. So he is two and three in his last five. Uh, Askren, on the other hand, he's been in the octagon all of two minutes. He has probably won, I would say he was winning in five seconds of that two minutes, and that five seconds just happened to be a bulldog choke he caught on Robbie Lawler. I barely know what to make of Askren in the UFC, other than that he's a horrific striker. Maya, not the greatest striker in the world, but some might say competent. Who do you have winning here? This is a very interesting matchup. I think it's a very interesting matchup, but I think what it comes down to is whether or not you can expect Damian Maya to sub Askren off of his back. Uh, because I, I, whether or not you, you like what you've seen out of Askren so far and, and whether or not you're really confident in Damian Maya's grappling abilities or not, it, it's almost foolish to believe that a, a wrestler of Ben Askren's quality can't take down somebody like Damian Maya. So not that Demian Maya is is a you know a, a particularly overwhelming uh not not a particularly overwhelming grappler but he's not a particularly overwhelming wrestler and and I think that's where it comes into play here. He's got good takedowns in his own right. I don't expect him to get any top game against Askren unless he sweeps him. So like the question comes down to do you think he can sub him off his back? And my inclination is no. And, and I know that that sounds weird, but Askren has pretty decent defensive jujitsu. And, and I think in the, the grand scheme of things, I think this winds up being a very boring match where Askren is pretty much sitting in the guard of Demi and Maya for 25 minutes. And I know that's not necessarily what people want to see. Like, they want to see, like, some back-and-forth grappling. But I bet you he takes him down and stays safe once he's there. So, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, we saw that Damian Maya can't defend kicking against a really good wrestler when he faced Tyron Woodley. When I think of Damian Maya's jiu-jitsu, and it is phenomenal jiu-jitsu, when transferred into the octagon, I really more think of it as offensive jujitsu. I think we've had this conversation on the show a number of times. I don't necessarily see him like throwing up triangles as someone puts him on his back. I see him doing that BJJ 101 hoist Gracie leg trip sweep and then taking someone's back and, and choking them out nine out of 10 times, unless you're Jorge Masvidal who somehow survived uh, Damien Maia on his back. Uh, I do not see that happening. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to get on top. Now, could there be a scramble 
where maybe he ends up on Askren's back, and that would be very interesting. And I encourage everyone to Google or YouTube, I should say, Marcelo Garcia versus Ben Askren. Uh, obviously just a training video, but Marcelo Garcia just toyed with Askren. Uh, you know, so in a scramble, I could see Maya maybe catching the backpack and then choking him out. But more or less, I agree with you that he will not take Askren down. Askren will take him down. And we might get like a ground and pound from the guard with Damian Maya trying to throw triangles off his back or an arm bar. But how often do we really see that in modern jiu-jitsu? I imagine Askren has pretty good defense from there. I would imagine. However, Askren has not impressed me in any way, shape or form. So you want to tell me that he takes Maya down and Maya throws up an arm bar on him. I expect something wacky to happen because Askren's had two UFC fights and they have both been extremely wacky. Last thing I'll say on this point, Gumby, I do think if Maya were to be able to defend some takedowns, if Askren were to tire, he's not the, the physical specimen that you see some UFC fighters to be. We get into that fourth, get into that fifth round. Askren too tired to take down Maya. Maya does hold the edge in the striking. So that is one path to victory I do see for Maya. Whereas, you know, maybe Askren wins uh, two rounds via wrestling. Maya could maybe steal three rounds just by outpointing him and being able to, to defend takedowns. But, you know, I don't know. It, it's very interesting to me. I, I, I see that as a possible path to victory. A path to victory I see is much more possible it is the type of path to victory where Askren gets a little bit too cocky in his grappling and decides he wants to pass Maya's guard, and he gets swept as a result of that. And that would cause a lot of problems because I don't think Askren off of his back is very good. And if he were to get swept by Damian Maya, I think he would be in trouble. But I do want to touch really quickly upon what you said about him you know, possibly tiring, you do have to remember that Ben Askren is somebody with a lot of championship round experience. He is a guy who has fought in championship rounds four or five times in his career and, and not completely against just schmucks in other places. Like he's fought Douglas Lima, who, who is fighting Rory McDonald this very weekend in, in a five round fight that went the, the distance. So like he has fought some pretty decent dudes to long periods of time. So I'm not, even though he's, you know, not the most in shape guy, I'm not totally buying the, like, he's going to be tired kind of guy, but I am buying, like, he, the scramble or sweeps avenue, I, I think is Damian Maya's best bet. Well, I'll tell you about a best bet. It's probably Michael Johnson, who is a minus 345 favorite, very large favorite against Stevie Ray, the plus 265 dog. Michael Johnson at this point has had 6 million UFC fights, but he's coming <laughs> off a KO loss to Josh Emmett. Beat Artem Lobov, the GOAT, before that. Beat Andre Feely before that. So he is 2-1 and one in his last three. But if you want to take it back even further, he was on a three-fight losing streak to some top-flight competition. Habib, Justin Gaethje, and the always tough Darren Elkins. So he is actually 2-4 and four in his last six and trying to rewrite the ship that is Michael Johnson. Stevie Ray has had a tough go of it recently. Coming off a loss to Leonardo Santos via KO. Beat Jessen Ayeri before that and lost to Cajun Johnson and Paul Felder before that. So he is one in three in his last four. Who you got? Uh, I'm going with Michael Johnson. Uh, I think the odds are right on this one. While I used to be the biggest Stevie Ray fan pretty much going, uh, I think Michael Johnson is, is hugely underrated. You know, don't get me wrong. He got knocked out by Josh Emmett. But do we remember that he's a guy who tagged Justin Gaethje so hard that Justin Gaethje was wobbly? Right? Like, Who's done that recently 
other than like the very top and top of the divisions. Never mind a guy who's gone down to featherweight. You know what I mean? And on top of that, do we remember he's a guy who put Dustin Poirier out cold, who who wrestled up Tony Ferguson and stayed safe? Like, don't get me wrong, he has lost some matches that we have been like come on, really, dude? Like, you're going to lose that one? You know, like, he got rear naked choked by Darren Elkins, and, and no offense to Darren Elkins, but when you're talking about beating Dustin Poirier and beating Tony Ferguson, like, it, it's sort of silly to think about that. And and he, ta- like I said, he tagged Justin Gaethje. He's got power in his hands. You're talking about him fighting a guy who has who seemingly had his best days already and is very hittable. I kind of expect Michael Johnson to knock him out here. Can't argue with anything you just said. Our third fight in three fights, a dog and a parlay, is going to be Sergey Pavlovich over uh, versus. <laughs> I'm already predicting the outcome here. Versus Maurice Green. Uh, Pavlovich is a minus two forty favorite. Green a plus two hundred dog. Green is coming off a win over Junior Albini. Beat Jeff Hughes before that. Beat Michael Batista before that. Called out a three fight win streak where I'm from. So he is riding his best win streak of his career in the UFC. Uh, and Sergey is one and one in the UFC. He debuted against Alistair Overeem, never an easy uh, first fight for anyone, but then came back with a nice win, uh, round one knockout over Marcelo Gome, uh, and that was back in April of this year. Who are you taking here? I'm thinking Pavlovich. He, he's a negative 240 favorite for a reason here, and it, the reason is, is that this fight starts on the feet. Uh, I, I love Maurice Green in the clinch. I love Maurice Green on the ground. And last time out, he showed he had some power. But he's a really, really tall dude who fights a little bit too upright against the guy who's pretty much a pure striker. I, I do think if he brought this fight to the mat on the bottom or on his feet, he might have a chance, but Pavlovich is a very tough striker, and, and Pavlovich also has some pretty good ground and pounded follow-up once he's hit you hard. Um, you know, Pavlovich gets a bad rap because he is 1-2 in the UFC, but come on, he makes his debut and a main event against Alistair Overeem. That, that is a ridiculous ask of somebody, and he didn't look awful doing it. You know, like he, he didn't look great, but he didn't look awful doing it. I, I think his striking is probably head and shoulders over Maurice Green, and, and I I sort of expect him to trash him in this one. Um, let's go with our parlay next. Uh, we're taking Raphael Fiziev, who's minus 190, and Jeff Hughes, who's minus 240. It equates to a two-fight parlay at plus 135 if they both hit. If they both hit, excuse me, what do you like about this? Uh, I like Raphael Fiziev because he's a guy whose odds should probably be much, much higher against Alex White. I, you know, when I'm looking for parlay odds, I'm looking for somebody whose odds are closer to even than they ought to be. Um, and Fiziev is the type of guy like that because in his debut, coming in 6-0, and highly heralded, he gets a spinning back fist KO loss to Magomed Mustaev. And in that fight, you know, like, I think he was probably my pick to win at the time because he was, like, such a heralded prospect. He's great on the feet, but he was a little bit worried about the grappling of Mustafaev. And I think in this fight, he gets to just focus on what he likes, and that's striking. He he knows Alex White is just going to come at him striking. So I think he's got a pretty clear path to victory there in that he's going to win a striking match, whether it's by decision or knockout. And Jeff Hughes, to me, even at negative 240 here, is just a slam dunk because he's fighting Rafael Pessoa, who fought Cyril Gane in his debut, which is a huge ask because Cyril Gane is an amazing kickboxer. But in the same sense, Cyril Gane beat him by arm triangle choke. He's an amazing kickboxer 
who outgrappled him and submitted him, which is just ridiculous to say. So when you're going to face a guy who wrestles pretty well and has got a good ground game, Jeff Hughes is just absolutely going to finish him as soon as he needs to. Our dog of the week is going to be Frank Camacho, a plus 115, uh, going against Benil Darush, the favorite. So I, I like this for a couple of reasons. First of all, Frank the Craig Camacho is one of my favorite guys in the UFC. We, we've had him on the show, and, and I just think he's a really fun dude to talk to in the first place. But the other reason why I really like him, and the, the improvement in his last fight was so very clear he finally decided that he's not going to be the type of fighter who just slugs it out with everybody. Instead, he was going to go in there, use his superior striking and his much faster speed to absolutely put it on Nick Hine. And he wound up with a TKO because of it, which is really impressive. Um, in addition to that, he's back at lightweight, which is where he's more comfortable. And if you look at, at Benil Dariush, he's fighting a guy who punches really hard. He's been knocked out a few times in his career. Alexander Hernandez KO'd him. Uh, Edson Barboza in that freak flying knee KO'd him. Like, he's a guy who's been hit in the head a couple of times. I mean, even Ramsey Nijim, if you want to go way back, took a TKO over him. And, and I think when you include all of those times he's been KO'd, he's fighting a guy who's a technical striker, who's got a wrestling background and is tough to take down. I think Camacho, you know, probably should be a favorite in here. And, and if you're getting him at dog money or anywhere near dog money, he's a great play. Boom. That's three fights a dog in a parlay. We're Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and you could reach us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Let us know if you love our new segment, Three Fights a Dog in a Parlay. Let us know if you hate it. We're accepting both love and hate feedback currently. You can thank us for some of these picks, or you can curse at us. Come UFC Singapore, and we, of course, will be live tweeting all weekend, uh, giving you coverage of the fight. So please give us a follow at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Gumby, why don't you take us home and wrap us up? It would be my pleasure. Uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We would not be able to do what we do without you, the fans. Plus, we would like to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. We wouldn't be able to do it without the mothership. Plus, I'd like to thank all three of our sponsors, A Story About a Fight from Rumination Films, Maroon Social, make sure to download the Maroon Social app, and Rampage Coffee. Plus, I want to remind you guys to check out our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. We've got all kinds of cool things going on there, so make sure that you check that out. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week.